Church, as we continue to worship this morning, will you take your copy of God's word and turn with me to the book of Exodus, specifically Exodus chapter 39 this morning as we continue in our series through the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 39 is where we are this morning. What shall I wear? What shall I wear? Uh, That's a question that at times I have to ask and more importantly, I have to answer at times. You have to ask and answer, what shall I wear? What's appropriate for the occasion? You get invited to a formal fundraising event. You're going to think a little bit about what what am I going to wear? What do I have? What do I need? What's appropriate to wear? Every couple that I officiate their weddings, we're going to spend a little bit of time, not a whole lot of time, but a few minutes talking through attire that's appropriate for what they have in mind for their wedding. I mean, am I, I, I can wear a robe. You want me to wear a robe? You want me to wear a suit and tie? We've got to talk about the tie. We've got to talk about things that coordinate and not clash. What color the bridesmaids' dresses? You get the point. Some people's professions are tied to their uniform. So there's an expectation when you see that person in a, in a proper setting that, okay, I know who this is. I know what they're doing. As you, as you leave here and in public, you see a, a police officer, you're going to see them in uniform if they're on duty. And there's a, there's a certain expectation because of the uniform. If you're in a consultation room at Brookwood or Grandview or St. Vincent's at UAB, and, and you go into that consultation room and, and a person with a white coat comes in, there's an expectation of what? Expertise. There's an expectation of, of a clarity of moving forward and diagnosis, a clarity of treatment. You walk into the courtroom, that judge enters into the courtroom not with their favorite sports team jersey on. They don't, they don't come adorned with, with an Auburn jersey or a UAB jersey or Alabama jersey. They, they come adorned with a robe, a symbolism of impartiality, a symbolism of the judicial responsibility that is fitting for their attire. What we wear matters. What we wear matters. And it matters not just for you, but it mattered to God. And it mattered in a very specific way in Exodus chapter 39 as he gives the, the detailing of what is the appropriate attire for the high priest. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a passage that probably you have not spent a whole lot of time thinking about. It is a passage that is full of descriptions of linen, colors, the, the detail is granular in many ways, and it is one of these passages that can be, in our own Bible reading, sort of a skimmable passage. At times, we, we sort of skip right over these because the details don't draw us. But I'm here to tell you that if you look closely at the attire, you begin to see God's expectations, God's calling, and God's grace and mercy as he clothes you. Exodus chapter 39 tells us a few things. The first truth I want you to see in your copy of God's word is that this is a holy attire. It's a holy attire. What is the purpose of the priest's clothing? Look no further than Exodus 39 verse 1. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. Look at that adjective right before garments. What's there? Holy. What does that word mean? It means set apart. This isn't versatile clothing. This isn't clothing where the high priest, he, he does his work 
in the morning, going to the high, into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, and then at night after dinner, he has sort of a casual stroll in these garments? No. I mean, these garments have one purpose. This is holy. This is set apart. This is not versatile in any kind of way. The material that is described, you see the blue, the purple, the gold, the woven scarlet yarns, all of this is reminiscent and it should, it should uh, wake you up when you're walking through the book of Exodus because it's the same color scheme, the same description of how the tabernacle is decorated. So Trimper Longman, he's an Old Testament scholar, he says that actually the high priest, because God doesn't leave this up to chance, he doesn't leave it up to the opinion of the high priest, that the high priest, when he walks in, there is a connection between what he wears and what decorates the holy place. Actually, Longman says that the high priest is a mini tabernacle. So what he wears is fitting for what he is doing in that moment. He is an embodiment of the structure of the tabernacle itself. It's a holy attire. But notice also a a real surprising twist. Notice with me the identity of the recipient of these garments. Notice the priest that has a tailored order being fulfilled here. Did you see who it was? Don't pass over it too quickly. It's easy to miss it when you're just walking through this passage here. They're making holy garments for none other than Aaron. And if that is not surprising to you, if that doesn't make you stop and say, oh, that's interesting, Aaron is the one that is here, you're missing a surprising detail to this. We've got to rewind the tape a little bit. We got to go back to Exodus 32. Do you remember one of the greatest fumbles in the history of the Israelites? is Aaron. Moses is on the top of the mountain. He's receiving the very law of God, the Ten Commandments, back at camp, back at the ranch. There's Aaron having an alternative worship service. There's Aaron who is called to be the high priest. He, with his own hands, is fashioning a golden calf. If there's any sin, any mistake, any foolishness that you think would revoke the priestly ordination papers of Aaron, it would be that. Moses comes down from the mountain. He is absolutely furious. First person he sees is Aaron, and he says to his face, you've committed such a great sin. This sin is defining the consequences are severe in every way here. And when we sin, guess what? It breaks, it breaks a relationship It severs intimacy with God. It severs intimacy with those horizontally that we love. And at times, our sin, especially in places of leadership, can disqualify us from continuing in those roles of leadership. There are times that pastors, ministers, because of the sin that has entangled them and the way that that has entangled them, that the the best way forward is for that minister to step down from that role. The best way forward for that church or that entity is for that person to be removed. That happens at times, no doubt. It doesn't just happen in the church. It happens in places of military leadership, governmental leadership. It happens in the corporate world where there can be a breach of trust that is such that that person must step back. Now, listen, this story doesn't tell us everything. It doesn't tell us everything about what happened between chapter 32 to chapter 39, but I just want you to see this one powerful truth that our God is a God of restoration. 
that Aaron confesses his sin and he is given a second chance by God. That God doesn't send him out to pasture. He doesn't say, well, Aaron, I, hey, listen, I better, I, hopefully you've got something you can do with your hands here because you're going to have to be making ends meet in the wilderness here. No, that's not what happens here. God gives him restoration and there is an order for the garments and they're given to Aaron even after his sin, even after his failure here. Now, this doesn't tell, this doesn't tell us everything about how a minister or a pastor should be restored to leadership. It certainly doesn't tell us everything about restoration in other sectors. Of course, this is not everything that we need to know about this, but there is something that we need to hear, and we need to hear this, that our God is a God of second chances. We need to hear that, especially in our cultural moment right now, and you will not miss it if you walk through the Bible, that our God is a God of second chances. Our God uses Abraham, who is a liar, Our God uses Moses, who is a murderer. Our God uses Jonah, who is a fleer. Our God uses Elijah, who is a complainer and a coward. Our God uses Peter, who is a denier. And you can add to these heroes of the faith, Aaron, the idolater. You can add Aaron's name to this, that our God is a God who doesn't write people off. Our God doesn't cancel A few years ago, me and a few other of our church members, or not church members, our staff members, we were in a presentation where there was a, a salesperson that was pitching to us this computer software that would help us as a church uh, be able to connect and minister to the needs of our church in a greater way. And so we all listened to it, and it's a wonderful guy who uh, loves the Lord, loves serving churches, and So I was listening to it and he passed out some information that kind of just further described uh, that what what this computer software could do for us as a church. And on it was his business card. And on his business card was a picture of himself. And I looked at him and I looked at the card and I looked at him and I looked at the card and looked at him and looked at the card and realized that the card picture was him about 10 to 15 years before our meeting right there. That, that card was him with a full head of hair, and that, that's not the hair he has. That card pictures him a little bit slimmer. And it just was a reminder to me that what we do with ourselves is we pause ourselves on our best days. Your social media images are oftentimes pictures that might be, hey, they might be two years old, they might be three years ago, they might be four years old, but they're not you on your worst day, are they? We're all curators. We're all our own personal marketing firms. And when it's up to us and it's about us, we want to pause ourselves on our best days. But often, often, while we do that for us, we we want to pause those around us and in the public and our family and our friends. Oftentimes, we're tempted to pause them on their worst days. And we're able to, uh, we're often tempted to, to confine them and define them by their worst moment. And, and that's really scary that we live in a day where your worst moment, uh, one person's worst day, one person's sin, one person's foolishness, one person's mistake, one person's step over the line in an instant can be broadcast to the world with just a, a touch of the finger. And I just want you to hear the way of Christ is a way of second chances. 
The way of Christ is for us to not pause our family members, our friends, our co-workers, even the public on their worst moment. We serve a God, a God who gives us second chances. Aren't we all thankful that our God doesn't define us and confine us to our worst moments? And as followers of Christ, we need to be slow. We, 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 we need to be grace-filled we need to avoid the, the temptation to coo- too quickly write people off. Even after Aaron's sin, there was a place for him to serve. And in order to serve there, he must be robed appropriately. So notice a holy attire, a surprising twist. Notice with me a, that this is a beautiful attire. Let's look at the description of the priest's clothing together. Uh, this is going to be found in Exodus 28. That's sort of the order and then in Exodus 39, you got a lot that is going to be similar here. But in Exodus 39, we actually have the tailor. We have the craftsman actually making these holy garments here. So that's what differentiates these two chapters here. We got four main items if we're keeping up with this. We have the ephod, we have the breast piece, we have the robe, and we have the turban. All of this chapter, we are going to read, but you need to see. Uh, so you need to see an illustration of this. And this is one of the uh, more vivid illustrations that I could find. The only thing about this is this is a, this is a headless illustration. So this, this has bothered me this whole week. I've got a bunch of these where I have photoshopped uh, members of our staff into. So I've got a photoshopped John Woods version of this. I've got a photoshopped Brad Gowing, but um, you know, Better Minds told me that might be a little too distracting. So I'll just tell you about it instead of showing you right there. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at as we walk through this so that we can get a little bit of a connection to what we read and see how it actually looked. So let's talk about the ephod first. The ephod is the first article in Exodus chapter 39, verse 2, and then also 6 and 7. He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. They made the onyx stones and closed them in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engravings of a signet, according to the names of the son of Israel. And he set them on the shoulder, pieces of the ephod, to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. So back to that, uh, that illustration there, this is the sleeveless apron that goes over the robe here. You, you have on the left shoulder and the right shoulder, you have six tribes of Israel on the left, six tribes of Israel on the right, because why? The priest is carrying the responsibility, the burdens of the people to God. So when the high priest makes sacrifices of atonement, when he's washed in the basin to be cleansed, when he eats of the bread of the fellowship, when he's offering the incense of the prayers, and when he stands before the Ark of the Covenant, when he does all of these things, he does these things not as a solitary individual. He doesn't do these things solely as just himself. He does these as a representative of the very people of God. He is wearing upon his shoulders the burdens of the people, the ephod. The breast piece is next in Exodus 39, verses 8 through 9. He made the breast piece in skilled work in the style of the ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. It was square. They made the breast piece double to span its length and it span its breadth when doubled. The breast piece had these pouches 
And in the pouches were what uh, Exodus chapter 28 kind of describes as holy dice. This is hard for us to get our minds around. But the high priest would consult the will of God and would utilize these instruments here, these sort of holy dice, to be able to make decisions led by God, Exodus chapter 28, verse 30. The breast piece is close to the heart. So the very representation, once again, is that the priest is carrying the burdens of the people, not just on his shoulders, but close to his heart. So the breast piece shows that the high priest has this ministry of support, sympathy, love, as he represents the people. The robe, uh, this is very intuitive for us. We can see this real clearly. Exodus 39, verses 22 through 25, he made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue and the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment with the binding around the opening so that it might not tear. Listen to verse 24 of the descriptions of, of what was on the robe here. There's the hem of the robe that made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. Verse 25, they also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe between the pomegranates. So there is, a, there is a visualization that we see here. There, pomegranates were a fruit, not the only fruit, but it's a fruit that is filled with seeds that represents the fruitfulness of the people of God. This goes back to Genesis 12. Do you remember where God said to Abram, look up at the stars. Look at the granules of the sand. These are innumerable. So I'm going to bless you. So you and Sarai are going to be a, a, a proud nation and through your pedigree, so I'm going to bless you. So the fruitfulness of the Israelites are represented here in the pomegranates, the bells. They're very curious. Exodus 28 says the high priest has to wear the bells so everywhere he goes he can be heard. When he walks into the holy place, they hear him walk in. It actually says that if he doesn't wear these, he, he, he can't go in there. He actually will die. So there's a protective nature to these bells here. The actual robe is woven of one piece of cloth that represents the wholeness and the integrity of the priest here. He is to be holy before the Lord and wholly committed to the Lord. And finally, if you imagine the high priest getting dressed, what's the last thing that he is going to put on? What's the last thing that the baseball player puts on? What's the last thing that the football player puts on? You put on the helmet, you put on the hat. So the high priest, when he goes in to the tabernacle, puts on the turban last. It's the crowning jewel of the attire. Notice with me in verse 27. They also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, the turban of fine linen, the caps of fine linen, and linen undergarments of fine twined linen, and the sash of fine twined linen and of blue and purple scarlet yarns embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription. So if you got close to the high priest, this is the inscription that you would see. Holy to the Lord. Don't miss that. As he puts on the turban, he, he is saying this is, the, this is the quintessential attribute of the high priest. That he as a sinner has washed himself, has prepare, prepared himself. So as he walks into the tabernacle, he walks in as one who has been cleansed by God. And he represents, I mean, he, Aaron's the sinner. And we know this. And every high priest that comes after Aaron would be sinners but they would prepare themselves in such a way that they are able to come before a holy God and not be 
not be obliterated, not be, not be killed through their holiness or their lack of holiness in light of the holiness of God. So if you saw a high priest, listen, this is not what the Israelites were wearing in the wilderness here. This is peculiar to us and it was peculiar to them. The high priest would have been noted and seen his prominence, his position, his privilege. There is no one else in the Israelites that are in the wandering of the wilderness that had a communion and an intimacy with God like the high priest. The high priest is able to to go and to see and to be in places that no one else is able to do. He, He dresses in a way that is wholly other. He acts in a way that is wholly unlike anyone else. But he he can put on all this on, but we know better, don't we? I mean, he can, he can, Aaron can dress up with this wardrobe, but we know that underneath the, the garments, he is a sinner. We know that underneath the garments, all the ornate clothing cannot hide the fact that Aaron's heart, although the breastpiece covers his heart, although the turban covers his head, He is one who is a sinner. And so every time that we read Exodus 39 and every time that we read Exodus 28 as a Christian, it should draw us to, is there anyone who can perfectly fulfill what the high priest is doing? You see, all the human high priests, they fell short. But they point to what? They point to a superior high priest. They, they point to the one who, the, the only one who could put that turban on, who it is no exaggeration for, for that person to be described as, as holy to the Lord. And so as we read Exodus 39, it points us forward to the high priestly work of Jesus, the ministry of our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 10 would remind us of his work. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us as Christians... Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Every one of you, me, every one of us needs a priest. Now we don't need a human priest, but we need a perfect priest. High priest. We need someone who can make atonement for our sins. We need someone who could intervene between our sinfulness and God's holiness, lest we perish not only upon earth, but we perish for an eternity. We need someone who can usher us in to the place where God resides. We need someone who can mediate to us the love of God, the mercy of God. And guess what? We have the perfect high priest. Jesus is our perfect high priest. And what the high priest does for Israel, Jesus does perfectly. He offers a sacrifice for sins through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He brings us into God's presence perfectly. He intercedes for us. He prays for us even now. If you think about what the high priest wears, it's a beautiful way to see what Jesus does for you. Jesus carries your burdens the high priest would put on the the ephod over the robe. Jesus perfectly carries your burdens. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Think about the breast piece, that that you are close to the heart of your Savior, that that he, he loves you, 
that you can say, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We have a great shepherd, a great high priest who loves us and knows us, knows our weaknesses and knows our strengths. We have a great high priest who is robed in royal righteousness. That There is no shadow of imperfection in Jesus. There is no stumbling block to Jesus. Jesus doesn't try to be good. He is the embodiment of perfection and holiness and goodness. He's the only one that can put upon himself, not a turban, but a crown of crowns. Because he's the only one who is truly holy to the Lord. And when you... When you turn to him by faith, do you know what you receive? You, my friend, receive a new wardrobe. You receive what you do not deserve and what you cannot purchase. His righteousness, his forgiveness, his love, his grace. One of the kindest acts that was ever done for me and to me was Years ago, I was a pastor in the Mississippi Gulf Coast area in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and Katrina blew ashore, and we were three miles in, but we have four or five feet of water in our house, and so that means when we come back to the house, the stench of the house still remains with me. I'll never forget those smells. Come back to the house, and I had two suits. I had a navy suit, and I had a black suit, and they were all, all of our clothes were just kind of washed in the gulf there and they were strewn around the house and in our yard. I mean, just things were everywhere and I found them and I thought, ah, you know, this is, this is past dry cleaner. Uh, you know, uh, we're not going to be able to redeem this. So I was suitless, which was really not that big of a deal until a couple of days after the storm, we did not have our church members that perished in the storm but there was a succession of funerals that I did for some of our elderly members of our church who the stress of the storm was just so pronounced that the weeks later, months later, and even the days later, I was doing funerals. A few days after Katrina, Miss Evelyn, who lived really close to our church, I performed her funeral and realized I don't have a suit and I can't go buy one. I don't have one. So I called Eric, who was a friend who was a pastor, lived a, you know, 10 miles further inland. And I said, Eric, uh, can I borrow one of your suits? I've got a funeral I've got to perform this afternoon. He was like, sure. Eric and I were about the same size. And so we meet, I get the suit, I go home, I put it on. And Eric and I were not the same size. I figured that out. I figured that out real quickly that Eric uh, had been running more than I had and he ate healthier than I did and so I had to make a decision in that moment but I had to press forward and I performed the uh, funeral in Eric's suit. I gave it back and I sort of said to him, oh, yeah that's not quite fitting me right there and so I didn't know this but Eric and some other pastors they got word to one of the partnering churches with us. We were working with the church out of Milton, Florida the next day after that funeral, the pastor drove over from Milton. He picked me up, got me in this vehicle, and we drove to Mobile, and he bought me two brand-new suits. And I was wearing the nicest suits I'd ever owned. 
I did not have the money to buy those suits and I did not pay a cent for those suits. I was robed in someone else's gift. I was robed in what someone else had earned. I was robed in not what I deserved, but just a sheer act of mercy and grace. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, guess what? You have a new attire. And it is, it is the attire of his righteousness. If you are a follower of Christ, you have traded in the rags of your sinfulness and you've got an upgrade not based upon your actions, not based upon your doings, not based upon your strivings, but surely through his mercy and his grace, and he has given to you the robe of his righteousness and perfection and you did not pay for it. And you, my friend, do not deserve it. This is grace that you're robed in his righteousness. Tonight's the Oscars. Tonight they're going to be Hollywood's finest that walk down a red carpet. And there are going to be countless reporters that come up to them and, and say, hey, who are you wearing? And they will not in that moment say Belk or Target. You know what they're going to say in that moment? They're going to say some designer who has given them a wardrobe to shine in. A wardrobe that hopefully other people are going to be able to see and say, wow, that is absolutely amazing. And I'm just here to remind you, if you're a follower of Jesus, who are you wearing? That's a question that you never have to waver on. You know, sometimes it's tough when you're insecure in what you're wearing. It, it, it makes you, it makes you, your head uh, drop a little bit, doesn't it? Your shoulders sag a little bit. Sort of the insecurities come before you and, and, and you, you walk through life with a little bit of a difficulty and a little bit of a, a, a hitch in your step. But I'm just here to remind you that Christ is he has clothed you in his righteousness. So head up, shoulders back. Your perfection is his. Your grace that you've received is from him. You're robed in his righteousness. Who are you wearing? How you answer that, it makes all the difference today. My friend, I hope you know it makes all the difference for each and every one of our tomorrows. Amen? Let us pray.